for the Finance Committee today. Uh, members, do we have any apologies? None received. None received. Okay. And has any notice been received from any member of delegated authority to another member to vote under the temporary standing order 115-6? No. Nope. Any declarations of interest? Uh, moving on to Chairperson's Business, uh, Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. As previously agreed, I met informally last week with the Chairperson of the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee to discuss the Northern Ireland Protocol. Colin McGrath chaired this informal session. The discussions included concerns relating to medicine supply chains, the impact of the protocol on investment, and the new training arrangements with Australia. A note of proceedings will be circulated in due course. Members of the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee are to visit Belfast in the first week of July, I think that's just about confirmed, and uh, to gather evidence in respect to the protocol. And with your agreement, I'm quite happy to meet them informally when they're here, and I think that would be quite useful. Great. And if any other members are quite happy to meet with the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee uh, informally, we can agree to that as well. Are we agreed? Great. Uh, moving on to the next item, legislative programme. The committee previously sought and received clarity from the department regarding its plans for primary legislation in the remainder of the mandate. The financial reporting bill has been introduced, and LCM is expected to be laid in September. Uh, AQW is referred to an arms leg body bill, which is with the executive. Is the committee content to write to the department to seek clarity on the rest of the legislative programme, including the uh, independent fiscal council bill? which I think is very important, the fire safety building regulation subordinate legislation, which again is a matter of considerable importance, and the social value in procurement bill. Are we agreed? Agreed. Can I agree? If I may, Chair? Yes, um, sir. Uh, do, have we, so we've had the financial reporting bill. I mean, now we're, we're fairly predictable. We're now getting quite a, a bit of a backlog of legislation that we'll have to get through, and we're only a month away from recess, that we'll have to get through from September to... Um, May, assuming we, we last that long. Um, do we know when second stage is going to be of this, or have we had any? 14th, 14th it's, it's on the order paper, which has been Oh, is it already yeah, on the order it's paper? It's on the order okay. paper, I think it's 14th of June. Yep, 14th of June. Okay. And can I just ask, are we going to be. Um, is that second stage, and then we'll do our committee stage after that, of course, sorry. Yeah, okay. There's no point in me taking up time with stupid questions, but I insist on doing it anyway. There is no such thing. If provided, it's informative. Okay, and moving on to the next time, the draft minutes of proceedings. The draft minutes of the 26th of May are at page 7. Are members content with the draft minutes on the 26th of May? Are an accurate record of proceedings? Are we agreed? Agreed. Uh, there are no matters arising. Uh, next item on the agenda is oral presentation uh, from RAIS on the 21-22 budget. Uh, and can I ask Rachel and Christopher to come on, Starley? Or I think you're both on it. Are we? We have the hour now. Yep. Uh, the following papers are relevant to this agenda item. Research briefing paper at page 17. And the Department of Finance monthly f- forecast outturn data for March 2021 is at page 50. Uh, can I ask either Rachel or Christopher to make a, their opening statement, please? Yeah, thank you, Chair, and good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we're here to present the briefing paper on the executive budget 2021-22, which starts on page 17 of your packs. I'm going to briefly touch on some of the context behind the budget setting process for the executive budget uh, 2021-22, and then I'll pass over to Chris, who will discuss uh, the economic context and then what's been included within the budget for 2021-22. 
Uh, so first of all, I'd like to draw your attention to one of the resources that we've created. Um, over the past few months, RAISE has compiled and hosted an interactive timeline of key events. It begins with the agreement of the New Decade New Approach in January of 2020 and goes right up until the publication of the Executive Budget document at the end of April. It basically sets out in chrono chronological order uh, key events from the UK government, including like the spending review, as well as local events, uh, which for whatever reason have contributed to a challenging and compressed timeline for budget scrutiny. This resource was included in the draft budget briefing paper presented to the committee in March. However, a link to the updated version is included on page 22 of your packs. If you haven't already had a chance to look at it, it is a really useful resource at putting some perspective on the budget setting process over the past year and a half. Obviously, a lot has happened over the past year and a half, and I think it's a good reminder of some of what's gone on and when, it, when it's gone on. And it also includes uh, links to videos and documents, uh, which can be useful. Um, going back to the paper, figure one on page 21 of your packs presents a condensed version of what is available on the online version. And it just presents some of the critical events between March 2020 and April 2021, which have either caused delays in the executive budget timetable or informed the size of the executive spending envelope for 2021-22. Uh, so figure one highlights numerous factors that have combined to adversely impact the budget process for this year. I think by far the most significant was the Chancellor's delay until autumn of the plan, the plan summer spending review announcement. Had the spending review been delivered in the summer of 2020 as originally planned, the draft executive budget could then have been brought to the Assembly in the autumn. But there's a number of other factors. Um, so the return of the fully functioning devolved governance in Northern Ireland um, after the three-year political hiatus in, 20, in January of 2020 um, and part of the agreement included things like the victims' uh, pension and other commitments. Um, there were issues arising due to the uh, UK exit from the EU, so um, there's unknowns, um, including unknowns and uncertainties around the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. Um, there were time lags uh, between Treasury's initial confirmation of Northern Ireland's spending envelope and subsequent executive consideration of the Executive Budget 2021-22 proposals. Um, also, Treasury confirmation of additional funding available as part of the Chancellor's Budget in 2021-22 um, and what was made available to the Executive um, have been released at, at different time points. And obviously, uh, there's been a lot of COVID funding announcements made throughout the year as well. Um, so I'm going to pass over to Chris, who's going to talk about some of the economic context. Thanks, Rachel. Okay. Uh, good afternoon. Sure, thank you. Um, so, yes, yeah, so from here, I'm going to discuss uh, some of the various sources of funding um, available in this budget. Um, but before I move on to that, I thought I would just mention uh, some of the economic contexts um, in which the, the draft and the final budget was formed um, and how things might have changed since. Uh, so even since this paper that we're looking at now um, was written, um, the Ulster University Economic Policy Centre released their latest uh, summer 2021 outlook. Um, and it actually strikes quite an optimistic tone um, in comparison to some of the outlooks we've seen recently. Um, so it's, it's stated that uh, the economy is expected to return to its pre-pandemic level by 2023, um, which is a year sooner um, than was forecast previously. Um, although obviously that's still dependent on a number of 
things continuing to go well. Um, so that includes things like the vaccine rollout continuing at the pace it has done, um, but also things like consumer spending um, continuing to boost economic growth. Um, obviously, as the economy reopens and consumer spending accounting for such a large part of our economy, um, that's, that's very important. Um, another thing that I'd bear in mind would be the timing of when we start to phase out or withdraw some of the support measures like the furlough scheme. Um, so in an ideal world, we would want to see some overlap where we've got a situation where both businesses are investing and consumers are spending and these schemes continue and we've got a little overlap in between. Um, so we're sure that we're not withdrawing support too soon or too late. Um, also worth noting is that although the economy is in a way been in a survival mode for the last year, um, you know the long-standing economic issues that we have here um, haven't gone away, um, and those still need tackled now. So the focus will obviously um, shift more towards those things. Those things being uh, high economic inactivity, uh, low productivity, and some of the regional imbalances we have in Northern Ireland. Um, Sorry, is this the best side we can get? You not hear it, Kirk? No, that's not. I'm, I'm finding it very difficult and very muffled. Deep, uh, basically. Uh, can we turn up the treble a bit? Uh, maybe, Chris, if you can sit closer to your microphone, um, maybe <laughs> that might help us a bit. Because if we can't, um, Stephen, sure. do you want to try there? broadcasting, see if it can help us? Go ahead, Chris. Oh, okay, okay, is this any better? Could you give us some level, Chris? <laughs> Okay, is this any better for you? Yes. Yeah, okay, that's good. So, um, if I move on to the sources of funding, um, apologies if you missed most of the first uh, part there. Um, so if we move on to the sources of funding, um, we've split this essentially into three main groups. So we've got fiscal transfers, um, which essentially is the block grant or the DEL, the, the departmental expenditure limits. So we're free to choose how we allocate that, and that comes through the through the Barnet uh, formula. Uh, we've got our self-financed uh, sources, which are the regional rates, default taxes, and our borrowing. And then others include Peace Plus, uh, EU funding, and the uh, Share Prosperity Fund. So. If I start with fiscal transfers, um, this is where the bulk of the funding is provided from the Treasury, um, and this is split by core and non-core, um, which is relatively new terminology. So core essentially is the general block grant that we receive um, for our resource and capital budgets. Um, on page 27 of the pack, in the first table, we can see those core amounts. Um, yep. So the 11.6 billion of resource um, and so on, that's unchanged since the draft budget. Um, and it's these amounts that we, uh, the minister, referred to as, as being standstill. Um, if we move to non-core, so that's essentially more one-off uh, measures that might be used for exceptional circumstances, so things like COVID-19 and uh, Brexit, things like that. So that's on table two, um, page 28 of the pack. Um, so that amounts to 538 million of resource and 3.6 million of capital. Um, since then, um, we've got we've got some additional uh, non-core um, funding announced as well. So we've got 407.7 million that was announced with the Chancellor's budget in March, and um, around 327 million carried over from the last financial year um, for COVID, and then 224 million 
uh, resulting from a Barnet consequential for um, NHS England. If we move to self-finance category, so again this includes things like the regional rate uh, or devolved tax powers and borrowing. Um, and before I move on to those, there's obviously a main develop uh, one of the main developments that you'll have been aware of is um, that's happened since the draft budget has been the confirmation of uh, the establishment of the fiscal council and um, fiscal commission. Um, so obviously those are widely regarded as good things. Um, in particular, the fiscal council will help with, I guess, just providing another level of oversight and scrutiny of our our budgetary process. Um, it'll inform inform decision making and and the debate about our public finances, and I think importantly as well, help enhance public understanding of, of how we fund our public services. Um, I mean, Commission also um, will help us ask some questions about how we fund our public services in new ways. So the regional rate, um, that's the next largest source after the block grant, so that, that remains frozen as it did in the draft budget. Um, and 580 million is expected to be raised from that in this uh, financial year 21-22. Um, when we look at air passenger duty and corporation tax, again, the status of these remains broadly the same as it has recently. Um, although we have the powers to raise our lower corporation tax, those haven't yet been exercised. Um, and as for air passenger duty, um, around 2.3 million of that's been allocated in the budget just to, to meet the cost of this. Um, as it has been um, in the last uh, last year as well. And then we moved to borrowing. Um, so of the two methods of borrowing that we have at our disposal, um, the, the RRI, or the, the Reinvestment and uh, Reform Initiative, um, I suppose is what's particularly relevant to this budget. Um, so this is discussed on page 37 of the pack, which is section 3.4 of the paper. Um, and this this will be particularly important, I suppose, as we enter a phase of economic recovery. Um, and this method can be used to fund investment. So, obviously, investment in large scale construction or infrastructure projects will have multiplier effects and stimulate economic growth. Um, so, that's particularly important as we look to um, recover, uh, as the economy looks to recover. Um, so, currently, out of the 200 million we have available for that facility, 170 of that's been outlined in the budget. So that's 140 that was outlined in the draft budget, plus another 30 that's since been um, announced for NI Water. Um, and if you look at page 49 um, on the pack, you'll see that the issue of the RRI um, and making full use of it was one of the key things that was pulled out during the, uh, the draft budget consultation. And then in terms of other funding sources, Peace um, Plus, the main point of the ad here really is um, that a consultation uh, took place on this between March and May. Um, so we still, we're still waiting to see what the outcome of that is. Um, and then in terms of continued EU funding, um, there's a total of 350 million confirmed for fisheries, foreign payments and security, um, as was confirmed in the spending review. In terms of the shared prosperity fund, there's still limited detail on that, um, as it's intended as a replacement for structure, EU structural funds, so we haven't unfortunately included much detail on it in the paper, although there has been um, an announcement of a, a kind of pilot project or pilot scheme for the shared prosperity fund this year, um, which is known as the Community Renewal Fund, so that will be administered centrally, um, and 11 million has been allocated for Northern Ireland for this year. Um, so. 
that'll be that 11 million um, 11 million uh, will be allocated via uh, a bidding process and i think that opens in june um, next month this month sorry um so in conclusion um obviously we've got a budget that's been formed in um, and considered in relatively challenging circumstances um, as noted by Rachel at the start um, when looking at the timeline. Um, obviously the economic outlook too is certainly a lot more positive now than it has been um, recently um, but obviously that, that's dependent on things going well or continuing to go well. Um, and I suppose then you know much has been said about this being a single year budget um, and although that decision has been influenced by the COVID-19 situation in the last year, year and a half, um, it's fair to say that it can act as a constraint um, because it will limit departments' abilities to plan um, long term um, and deliver on their strategies, many of which you know, span multiple years, not single years. Um, so thank you for your attention. Apologies for the sound issue. Um, and if you have any questions, then it's up to Rachel. I'm happy to take those. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks, Rachel. Jim? Um, very, very interesting. Uh, I, I had a meeting yesterday with representatives of the quarry industry. Uh, their business is absolutely booming. They, can't, they cannot deal with the demand for their products. And indeed, one was placing a three-month waiting list on concrete. Now, why that's significant is that's the very upside of, of, of the economic cycle. If they're booming, then that comes through business rapidly. So I suspect that things are nothing like as bad out there as the projections are being made. There's also a very interesting report that hasn't been taken into account that disposable incomes in Northern Ireland per person have never been as high. There's a huge uh, mountain of money there that hasn't been spent on hospitality, holidays, etc. So once that starts to be released, again, I think there will be good times ahead for many sectors of the economy. And who would have expected that or predicted it? I don't think anyone would have suggested that, or anyone suggested the nationwide survey that showed that house prices during the coronavirus have increased by 11%. Who on earth would have suggested that was going to happen? My daughter's just bought a house in Belfast, and we can confirm that's indeed very much the case. So, therefore, looking at the budget, I'm intrigued by the figures of I think it's 300 million in the budget and 200 barnet consequentials for coronavirus. At the rate things are going, it may be that, that not all of that's going to be needed. Now, when I last asked the, the, the department this question, how much of that can we get our hands on? I suppose, to be put it crudely, does that represent a potential windfall for the Northern Ireland Block Grant? How much of it can we snaffle for deserving causes like health and education, roads, etc.? And how much of it are we? absolutely bound and must spend on the coronavirus or related issues. Um, what's the latest thinking on that? Um, as I understand it, so that $224 million or $200 million uh, COVID money, um, that is non-core, so it's not, I think it's, a, it's allocated the same way as the core uh, monies are. So, uh, short answer is I'm not sure if there's any restriction on whether that can be moved on to other purposes. So general, uh, general Barnet consequentials or, or money allocated by the Barnet for is unhypothecated, meaning whatever um, whatever spending increase in, in the United Kingdom 
uh, generates that consequential, it doesn't actually matter, or it's, it, there's no condition on which department or with how it's allocated. Um, I'm not sure whether that's the same uh, case uh, for the 200 million or the non-core uh, money that's been allocated. Um, yeah. it, it's certainly something we could look at or check out, but I'm not sure. Of, I mean, uh, yeah, and it's a bit of a, 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 a one that you didn't get prior notice. It'd be very useful to know, to tie down with the department, either through the committee or through yourselves, how much freedom we have with that 540 odd million pounds, because it, it really could help enormously to meet, uh, for instance, the, the um, waiting list, uh, the report from the Royal College of Surgeons saying we need an extra £200 million a year simply to tack and tackle the chronic waiting list situation we have. It would be very nice to think that that's available. The Cancer um, Research UK said we need £130 million immediately to meet the demands of increased incidence of cancer. Again, it would be very handy to, ha to know there's some flexibility there. And, you know, it, it, it's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. If that has freed up extra cash for the incoming financial year, then, you know, let's make full use of it and realise that it can be moved across into other budgets quite rapidly within this financial year to meet the obvious demands that we're facing. Thank you. Sorry, Matthew. Thanks very much, and thank you again, um, Chris and Rachel, for your really thorough presentation and paper. Um, what is, in your view, the relationship between the budget statement and um, the budget bill? If you had to describe it. Budget, I mean the budget statement that we debated on, we debated last week, and so the budget. Obviously, there are multiple budget bills, but it would just be helpful to get your view on the relationship between the two. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Yeah. Yes. Can you hear you? Um, um, you mean sorry in terms of the statement made by the minister, and then when you say the relationship, you mean how? You, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just wasn't too sure of the question there. Not sure. I suppose my question is, we have multiple. Northern Ireland probably has more fiscal moments, despite having such limited fiscal powers. We have more fiscal moments than most other jurisdictions. Certainly, most devolved jurisdictions. We have multiple budget bills, multiple monitoring rounds, but also a budget statement. Uh, so, if I'm explaining to my constituent what the purpose of the budget statement is versus budget bills, how would you describe it to them? Just out of a genuine aid of interest, I'm not, there's not a trick question. Uh, my, my understanding of the budget bill is just the drawdown of, of cash. It's um, just, just an overall number for the, the, the three or four buckets, um, where the budget statement um, includes slightly more detail. Yeah, if I could just add to that, I suppose. To go back to the second question, if I was to explain it, I suppose my understanding would be that one is, as Rachel described, for the budget bill and the statement is more of a, a confirmation um, of, you know, an explanation of the, both the rationale or, you know, where some of the funding is coming from and why it's been allocated in the way it has. Um, that would be, you know, my sort of, my understanding of it. Okay, thank you. I mean, uh, I mean, 
I understand that, and, and, but I suppose my, the purpose of me asking the question is really to illustrate a point, which is that there is an the fact that you two extremely um, articulate people who understand financial management and budgeting in Northern Ireland were, weren't really able, in the nicest possible way, to give a, a quick and straightforward explanation shows how uh, Byzantine and difficult this, these processes are and uh, how opaque they are for the people we serve. Anyway. Um, my next question is actually, if we go to table um, 5.1 um, in your paper, which is about non-ring-fenced non Ardell, um, the, four point, the, the percentage change, the 4.1% increase on, um, uh, on Ardell allocations, th that's just core, is that Cordell or that doesn't include COVID money? Or does it? No, that doesn't include COVID money. Right. Okay. Great. Um, and okay. So the, the you talked about the the, the, the flat. Is the finance minister's um, assessment that he is a flat cash budget or broadly flat because of inflation or because of inflation plus? Um, extra sort of increased baselines that haven't been factored, sort of increased post-NDNA baselines that haven't been factored in by the Treasury? Um, I think the initial, at the very start of the paper, um, there's a, a small table, uh, table one or table two, I think yeah. it just describes the, the core settlement, so I believe that was the amount that was uh, referred to as being flat, so um, there's obviously you know, additional allocations or additional confirmations of funding that have happened since, um, but I believe it was that, I think it was 11.6 billion um, resource that was referred to as, as, as being flat relative to the uh, core amount for 2020-21. Okay, that's really helpful. Thank you for the time then as well. I wasn't being facetious or wrong with my questions about the budget, I just wanted to, I was slightly illustrating a point, but it wasn't, it wasn't meant as a as a, a, a facetious comment, your presentation was excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Jim, Jim Alistair. Yeah, uh, just to carry on that last point from um, Matthew. Yeah, the minister kept wanting to tell us how flat the budget was, but he really wasn't comparing like with like because he was excluding all the money that came in uh, under COVID. Isn't that right? Yeah, the COVID one has been largely kept separate. It was a separate process throughout the year. Um, and there's it, also a huge amount of money that the executive had to spend. Mm -hmm. And there's a knock-on from that as well. Um, your paper was a very useful refresher in the whole thing. There's just one detail I want to ask about. At paragraph 3.3, page 37 of our pack, you talk about fees and charges. And you, in the second paragraph, you say, for these reasons, increasing charges should be seen as a straightforward way to increase revenue. Surely anything above the cost has to be returned to the Treasury. My understanding is that you're only allowed to recover the costs you can't make it a profit-making mechanism. Am I wrong about that? Mm. 
Um, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, I suppose in the way it's worded, you know, it's when it says increased revenue, really, you know, essentially recovering cost, but could be you know, a revenue that covers the cost is still a revenue. So I suppose potentially, you know, possibly that's just the way that's worded. It's, you know, it wasn't intended as a, a, a statement to say it's a way of generating profit necessarily. So when it says for these reasons, increasing charges should be seen as a straightforward way to increase revenue. What does that mean? Um, I suppose if, if uh, fees and charges on, I think it includes things like parking charges. Um, if those were increased, um, I'm not necessarily sure that increasing charges on it would, would necessarily increase the cost of providing um, service or public service. And so I suppose you know, increasing the charge that way would you know, increase the revenue. Um, My understanding is that some of the um, some of it's uh, subsidised, so it possibly doesn't cover the costs. Yes, but I think we're agreed that you can't use that as a device to raise revenue by overcharging. We agreed about that. Yes. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much indeed, Jim. Gemma? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Rachel and Chris. I just have one question. Actually, can I just say congratulations on your briefing paper because it was probably one of the most useful things I've read in a long time. Um, yeah, just one question. Have you any examples of successful projects um, that were funded by FTC? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wouldn't have any examples to hand, but it's something we could refer back to the clerk. Um, there's a, a, any papers that have been written in the past uh, about FTC that would be helpful. That's a fascinating question, which I'd, I'd like to see if it gets some detail, because I'm not aware of any. And uh, it seems to be a pot of money that's incredibly difficult to access. Uh, and uh, so there's probably a little bit of research on that on its own right. Uh, so, that, well done, Malik. <laughs> yeah. I think, Jeremy, you could probably ask the question how much of it has ended up in the Ulster University? <laughs> <laughs> Don't even go there. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd appreciate that if you actually could do that. That'd be interesting. Okay, we'll ask that question, Gemma. Uh, you, you propose that, we have, well, I, I second that, and we'll, we'll write and ask, get that question from the department. Okay, okay I propose. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, team, thanks very much indeed. Uh, just, a, just a couple of ones. Um, one of the things is obviously inflationary pressure. So one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves is, are we factoring in sort of in future budget cycles and the rest of it? Are we still looking at sort of the low rates of inflation or are we beginning to consider what's going to happen when inflation starts rising towards the 2% mark? Which I think there's quite a lot of indication that that's happening. And I think that's one of the things we need to keep a careful eye on. So that's the first question. And the question is that all the, uh, because all the money that comes in from Barnet is obviously unhypothecated, but indeed I think we're probably expecting another uplift for the health service, and I think there's been indications from Westminster that's due to come. Has all the unhypothecated money been actually spent from what you can see from your analysis of the departmental outturns, or indeed are we looking at a case where 
who brought some money in that was unhypothecated, even though it was based on Barnet Consequentials for Health, gone into the general pot and now is, uh, hasn't been spent. Have we got any indication of that? And I'm just looking at sort of how some of the sort of the outturns have been looked at as well in some of the papers. So over to you, Rachel, and uh, as we can. Um, thank you. I can jump in on the first point there on inflation. Um, I can't say for sure um, if it's something that will be uh, considered um, by the department when they're forming, um, forming any future budgets, but um, it is a good point that inflation should be considered because obviously it's been low for some time, but I think it's fairly well accepted now that um, a period of potentially higher inflation is coming um, for a number of different reasons. Um, I think the sheer amount of stimulus spending in the global economy being one of the big ones. Um, and in, ter in terms of the second point about uh, Barnet consequentials or Barnet um, allocations, um, there's, a, there's a caveat at the start of this paper that mentions that there is additional funding. Um, additional funding that has been confirmed but hasn't actually been um, sort of considered in the budget itself um, and I think it's been agreed it's, um, it hasn't been notified by the Secretary of State so it has to be allocated in year so my understanding would be that there is additional money there and um, it just hasn't been allocated to departments uh, as of yet So the, the Treasury give us with one hand and we can't spend it would that be a summation? Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it that way myself. You carry some of it forward, um, but uh, we don't have details of whether that how, how that was spent or where that was allocated at this point. Yeah, Rachel. No, it's just an interesting and sort of the monthly outturn data. I think it's on page fifty. Shows some very significant end of year surges in respect of both capital and resources, and the latter seems to be linked to late COVID allocations from our government. But the former, which amounts to about six hundred million capital spending in March may be linked to departments settling accounts with contractors before the year end. I mean, this looks as if um, we're just used to a yearly budgeting cycle, um, using it to balance the books and the rest of it. There doesn't seem to be much sort of financial management. Have you any sort of thoughts on that and what you're seeing? Um, the, you know, the graph that you're sort of talking about looks the same pretty much every year. So I'm not sure if that's really to do with COVID money or not. Um, but we, uh, I know that that's something that we were going to look into further, sort of down the line, uh, the, the forecast I turned for the year. Uh, yes, please. Okay. Thank, sorry. thank you very much. Rachel, Christopher, thank you very much indeed for an, an excellent report. Um, I think, um, sorry, Clark, that kind of report shouldn't just reside with the uh, uh, Committee for Finance. And I think with the, the committee would be happy, I'd like to circulate that to all the other committees. I think it would be very useful if they were able to look at that report because I think it gives us a very good ready reckoner to where we are. And um, Rachel and Christopher, you've managed to show, shine a degree of light onto something that is uh, quite murky, even at the best of times. But I think you should both be congratulated for your work and what you've done. And I would like to, uh, if the committee are content, yeah. I would like to both thank uh, Rachel and Christopher, which you will, I know, but I also would like to send this uh, report on to the other committees and the other committee chairs. Are we agreed? Agreed. Great. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers, Christopher. Cheers, Rachel. Talk to you soon. <coughs> if we move on to the next item of the agenda, Oral Evidence, Department of Finance, Main Estimates and Budget Number 2 Bill. Uh, the committee will now receive oral evidence from the Department on the Budget Number 2 Bill and Main Estimates. 
Okay. And I welcome on Starleaf, uh, Joanne, Barry and Rushing, please. Could, could I just ask, have they had the value of listening to the previous presentation? I think some of the officials may have seen that, but we can certainly share the paper. No, what I was saying to you is, it would it'd be repetitive to ask questions if they've been listening in. I, I don't, sorry, Chair, but I don't think it would be repetitive at all. In fact, I was suggesting that, that maybe some of those questions are possibly better directed to officials. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. An answer. Yeah. You do them without me already, are you? <laughs> you do them without me, typical. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Barry. Hi, Rushing. Can you hear us okay? Hello. Yes, Chair. And indeed, yes. Yes. Uh, I just want to say the session has been recorded by Hansard. Uh, the following are relevant to the agenda item. The clerk's briefing note, page 107. Departmental's brief, departmental briefing paper on the main estimates in the budget bill and associate papers at page 113. Statutory committee response at page 140 and at page 3 of tabled items. A copy of the main estimates at page 161 and a copy of the Budget No. 2 bill at page 503. Uh, Joanne, who's going to speak to this one? Chair Barry's going to give the opening remarks, and oh. then obviously we'll answer questions. OK, over to you, Barry. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you for this further opportunity to brief the committee on the Budget No. 2 bill. Uh, in the briefing last Wednesday, uh, I provided the committee with the background to the main estimates uh, 2021-22 and the committee raised a number of important questions which we'd agreed to provide more information on uh, and the committee should be receiving the formal written response for that very shortly I believe it is with uh, the minister just to clear at the moment. Uh, among the questions that the committee had raised was regarding the confirmation from uh, UK government regarding allocations so as part of the uh, UK government's main estimate process uh, HMT has confirmed all of the additional allocations uh, that for which there was headroom referred to in the estimates, with the exception of the Northern Ireland Protocol costs. The allocation of the Northern Ireland Protocol has been agreed by Treasury, however, it will only be formally included in the control totals at the Westminster's Spring Supplementary Estimate process later in the year. This is a normal process for funding such as this, and as we have agreed the amounts with Treasury, this funding will be available to be allocated as part of the June monitoring to ensure that departments are able to spend it for the purposes intended. Is the, sorry, just, just to come across, just across you, Barry. Is that then going to be built into the headroom, or what's, how is that going to be done? That uh, there was already an element of headroom built in, which was in the sort of explained in the briefing paper that uh, I provided uh, last week. So that was uh, 12.3 million, which was headroom, which was built into the Department for Economies estimate. Okay, and that and that's the, the of of the headroom that was built in. That is the only element that uh, f for which we haven't had the sort of formal confirmation through the the Westminster estimate process. So now that we've got just to go back again, because obviously one of our questions were is that we were uh, allocating resource and we were actually through using the headroom mechanism for monies that we hadn't actually received, but now. Basically, because you've seen all the Treasury have actually allocated the funding, that now means that the money that the Minister was still waiting for sign-off as we actually have? That, that's correct, yes. Okay. Yeah, and what, what, uh, how much Chair, is that, Barry, just also, as a matter of interest? Sorry, Chair, if I could jump in there. And uh, as Barry says, Treasury have included those figures um, within the, the Westminster Men's Supplementary Estimates. Finance Minister has also written to the Secretary of State to confirm that we are taking that Treasury uh, inclusion of the numbers uh, as confirmation of that funding is available. Okay. And, sir, how much is that again, Joanne? 
Sorry, Barry, do you have the figure that's the Indiana's pack? Yeah, I, I have the amounts that were included as headroom. I'm just conscious in case there was anything else for which headroom wasn't included. It, it, uh, but certainly for the uh, the elements for which the uh, headroom was included, so it was for the Department of Education, that was 16.5 million confidence and supply. Uh, for the Department for Economy, it was 12.3 million for uh, Northern Ireland Protocol, uh, 9 million New decade, new approach funding, um, and uh, there was a, an element of the nine million tackling paramilitaries, and that was split, partly being funded by UK government and partly being funded by the executive. Okay, and the yes. nineteen million for the victims' payments. And there was yes, and there, there was headroom included for the ninety million for victims' payments. That's that's obviously a separate issue, which uh, is, there's negotiations still ongoing between the the executive and the UK government over the funding for that. But given that, that the the executive confirmed that that it will be funded, then the headroom has been included in the estimates for it. Okay, and sir, we're now, as far as we can be, we're confident now because. If the minister's writing to the Secretary of State to say that we're including that in the process, that's you know, as far as we're concerned, we've got the money and that's what we're proceeding on. Yes, no, that's correct, Chair, okay. yes. Okay, the uh, the committee had also questioned uh, the increase in one of the function lines for the executive office, that's function line A one. Mm -hmm. uh, in that function line in the 2020 to 21 sorry the 21 to 22 main estimates uh, the executive office's net total expenditure figure against function line a1 which is executive support and policy development is 112.8 million this compares to a figure of 52.067 million in the 2020-21 spring supplementary estimates and uh, in the main estimates last year it was 48. 154. So this increase is due to the, the following main items which have been, which have been included in uh, the 2021 to 22 main estimates. The Executive Office received an allocation of 46.2 million for historical institutional, institutional abuse payments uh, as part of the 21-22 budget settlement. Yep. And then there was headroom which was included, a total of 21.3 million which was included in this line in the 21-22 main estimates for the combination of 2.3 million uh, headroom provided for the COVID recovery task force and then 19 million for the victims' pensions payments, which were mentioned earlier. So as neither of these uh, amounts were in the, the Executive Office's budget last year or in the 2020-21 main or spring supplementary estimates. This represents a, a significant increase in the uh, the figures in that function line. Okay. Right. Sure. Um, the committee had also then asked for some further details on the COVID recovery task force. Mm -hmm. uh, the Executive's COVID-19 task force was established in December 2020 uh, as a necessary step change in the Executive's response to the evolving nature of the pandemic. It is chaired by the Interim Hawks and meets regularly and reports to the Executive on a weekly basis. The task force has four uh, work streams, adherence, protect, communications and recovery. 
The Adherence Group is working on the development of a longitudinal survey which is designed to give more information on adherence on an individual basis and influence policy development as we continue on our pathway out of restrictions and be reliant on people making safer choices to contain the virus. In communications, the task force has moved away from the stay local message and relaxed its guidance on the common travel area and adopted the green list for international travel. The task force is now focusing the message on the behaviour of the individual. This will be designed to inform and enable people to make safer choices on how to keep themselves safe and reduce the risk of transmission. The PROTECT workstream is led by the Department of Health and involves the work with the rollout of the vaccination programme. Under the recovery work stream is the development of a cross-cutting recovery strategy for delivery over the next 24 months. The task force also runs the cross-departmental working group, which meets weekly to consider the proposals submitted for the next set of relaxations and the next major review on the 10th of June. And the group are currently working through the proposals submitted for consideration at that point. While headroom of 2.3 million was incorporated into the 2021 to 22 main estimates, the executive agreed to allocate 1.3 million in its May COVID exercise. It is the executive's budget allocations which control the expenditure which departments can undertake, so I can assure the committee there is no risk that the executive office will spend beyond that agreed budget allocation. Uh, in addition to the staff involved, the allocation is funding expenditure by the task force on a range of areas, including uh, research work, public safety and public information. Uh, at the briefing uh, last Wednesday, uh, the committee also referred to outstanding information that the Assembly Research Unit is waiting for in relation to departmental bids. Uh, some of the information which had been requested is held by individual departments and the Department of Finance has commissioned part input from these other departments in order to be able to compile this. Uh, Department of Finance has engaged with the research unit regarding the time required to carry this out and the department will provide this information as soon as all the input has been provided by departments. Uh, I would just like to stress the information requested relates to bids in the 2020-2021 financial year and not to the current financial year which these main estimates and budget number two bill refer to. So Barry, but hold on, just a second. Barry, we're at June monitoring now, so the information should already be made available by the departments if we're doing June monitoring. So why wasn't, why hasn't, it, why are we still trying to seek information from other departments? So th- th- this is this is information about bids which were submitted back in last April, May, June, and throughout the 2020 to 21 financial year. And which the executive considered through a series of uh, COVID exercises and the monitoring rounds during the 2020-21 financial year. We're, we're still awaiting at the minute bids being submitted for the June monitoring round. They, they're due from departments in, uh, on the, the 4th of June, which is this Friday. Right. So you expect them to be in by this Friday? Yes. Okay. Will you let us know if you don't get them? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. I, I, I wouldn't say. No, I'll, refra- first I'll rephrase that, that Barry. I, I, I would like I, to know if you don't get them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chair, just to, to jump in there, we sometimes do um, allow departments a little bit of leeway with with the deadlines because obviously everybody's under a lot of pressure. But certainly, if we don't get them by the time we we need to do them, and if the department's moving outside um, any sort of leeway, we've agreed we will certainly let you know. 
but I would say that we do sometimes grant a day or two's latitude if a department's having issues. When's June monitoring coming before the executive? That is still to be decided. Um, I would hope that it would be before the executive, before the end of June, and indeed announced in the assembly before summer recess. Yeah, that's all right. We would we would hope to have some visibility of that, and indeed I'm sure the other committees would like to have some visibility of that, rather than wait until the last week. Um, well, obviously it's for individual departments to share with their committees. We have encouraged them to engage early on that, and I, I believe you may have um, Department of Finance. Um, finance branch colleagues up later today, possibly, about their gin monitoring returns. I've, I've no difficulty with the Department of Finance. I'm worried about all the other ones. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, yeah, we would like that information if we could make that for action. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you. So, j just to conclude, then, I, I know that one of the key considerations for the committee is whether to agree accelerated passage for the bill. It is vitally important that this bill proceeds via accelerated passage to ensure that departments will have access to the cash and use of resources required for the remainder of the year, as the amounts authorised in the vote on account will begin to become exhausted by the end of the Assembly's summer recess. I appreciate the granting of accelerated passage is dependent upon the Committee having had ample opportunity to scrutinise the bill. Uh, with the main estimates being passed on the are being based, sorry, on the executive's final budget, there has been ongoing engagement over the past number of months on this. In addition uh, to the debate which took, has recently taken place in the assembly, and I would hope that the committee has been able to fully consider this position. We are, of course, happy to answer any further questions that the committee may have today. Yeah, just just so um, we've now have the independent fiscal council has now been set up. So, what's have they had an opportunity to start scrutinising the process and having a look at this? And what sort of dialogue and cooperation are you having with them? We're sorry, Chair. I, I lost that one. We're still, we've had an initial, um, or certainly I've had an initial conversation with them, but we're still in early days of, of developing that dialogue. Um, and yes, we, we we say that they will have for them to decide what role they would have. But we would imagine they would have a role of both looking at monitoring and budget information. But um, that the processes and the procedures for that are still to be established. Yeah. And just another thing, that we know it's we're coming fairly close to the end of the, this particular Assembly's mandate, but uh, one of the things we do want to get through is we want to get the Independent Fiscal Council through on a legislative framework as quickly as possible. So uh, where are we on the sort of the legislation process for putting it on a legislative process? Is that coming across your desk, Joanne? No, it doesn't, Chair. Um, it would be Bill Polly's side would be the sponsor for, for the Council and, and for the Commission. Um, for, for obvious reasons, um, I am not involved in that side of it, um, because obviously they have an interest in our, 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 the role of PSD, so it, it wouldn't be right for us to have a role in setting up the Council or the Commission. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it might be worth us as a committee writing to the Minister and asking him sort of the progress towards the legislative process in that as well. Great. I was going to add sort of an addendum. I think it would be worth asking for a, uh, an update on the fiscal commission as well. Oh yes, uh, that would be good, useful. We can if we are agreed to that. Agreed. Members, <clears throat> is that agreed? Yeah, agreed. Pat. Thanks, Chair. Just suppose what we were talking about earlier in respect. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at had it anything to do with the statement that the minister made on the 20th of May. I can take in uh, the, the additional funds that was found in the COVID money and the department said out where the additional 300 million came from. Can you tell us 
uh, that there's 105 million has not been allocated, and 114 come from further uh, Barnet coincidentals. Did the balance come from surrenders from other departments? No, not, not in the, the May exercise. The, the funding, there was some funding which was carried forward from the budget process, some in year funding. So we had carried forward 81 million that was being held for business support schemes and 103.9 million, which was hand, held pending an assessment of health costs. We then also got some additional funding in through Barnet, and it, it was that funding that was considered as part of the May exercise. That has been allocated for um, around 15 million on the resource side, um, 33 or 34 million on the capital side, and some 19 million of financial transactions capital. And that one allocated might will now be considered as part of the June monitoring round. Is it real money, Joanne? Is it there to spend? I mean, is it? Is, uh, yes. So it, 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 it is yes. So the June monitoring round will hopefully allocate the, the rest of that funding plus any money that we're able to carry, any further money we're able to carry forward from the 2021 financial year. Pat, can I just come in there quickly? Yeah. Uh, Go on. I might have misheard what you said. Did you say F some FTC had come in under Barnet? How's that work? Or did I mishear that? I said there was some FTC not, not allocated as part of the May round. Yes, we, we did get additional FT financial transactions capital under Barnet. So yes, there's 19 million has come in. Um, and I should be aware all of the financial transactions capital that was available was allocated as part of the budget process. So obviously we will now be looking for bids from departments for this additional funding that's now available. Sure. Uh, my apologies. And just for my ignorance, you couldn't write to me separately, Joanna, just sort of let me know how uh, Barnet and FTC work, because I'm, I'm sort of a bit blindsided in that. If you could just drop me a little note about that. So it's, it's, uh, I don't want to sort of pick it up, sort of, but if you could just drop me a no, line no. on that just for our, yeah, no, my no education. Problem. We can do that, yeah. Okay, thanks. Sorry, Pat, for that. But, but we are looking, you're looking quick passage of, uh, <laughs> of, of these figures as they come through here to this committee in order to try and progress this. But there seems to be an awful lot of still loose ends. I don't I even want to start. I'm going to leave it for Jim on the financial liability with the, victim, with the victim's pension. But how much of this is actually, I mean, how much of it moves? I mean, I think someday I've got a, a, an idea of where it's going in the budget. And then I come back in to like today and I find that everything's moved again. It's not par for the course. And this, as you do your budget, you know, um, there's also always some changes throughout the course of the financial year because, because departments, um, their pressures change and their, their ability to spend changes. There hasn't been um, a movement of money as such in the May exercise. Um, what we've done there is give departments additional funding. And obviously what we're, we wouldn't normally have that May exercise, but because we're, we're reacting to COVID and because additional money became available, we have that May exercise to get the money out to departments as quickly as possible to ensure it could be spent as effectively as possible. Okay, so the just the offering round, which is coming up, would be part of the normal process yep. in which we would normally hand out allocations for the year. And um, Barry probably wants to say a bit about how this relates to the estimates that you're looking at today. But yep. Yeah, well, uh, uh, thanks, Joanne. What, what I would say uh, to the committee is in, in, a, in a normal year when COVID isn't we weren't facing the COVID pandemic, these estimates would be written to the executive's opening budget position for the year, and we would we would have a fixed point in time. So these estimates rep at that point <coughs> represent the executive's up-to-date expenditure plans. Uh, as, Joanne was, as Joanne has explained there this year, and indeed last year, because of the the very rapid response that was needed to to respond to COVID. 
Um, uh, last year, for example, by the time we, we were bringing the, the, the equivalent budget bill uh, uh, in, in June of last year, we had had effectively the equivalent of three monitoring rounds all compressed into a period of two months just because of the, the, the amount of uh, money that was coming from the UK government uh, through the Barnet. Uh, formula and with the, for the executives need to get that money out to departments to be able to provide services and to respond to the pandemic on the ground. So last year was very, very exceptional. This year is still exceptional because, uh, as Joanne explained, we've squeezed in this, the executives may COVID exercise because I'm sure you would agree that it would be foolish for the executive to have effectively sat on that money waiting for these estimates to go through to wait for the June monitoring round when there were people in need of, of the, the services that the departments uh, needed to provide. So the executive acted quickly to make those allocations. Unfortunately, what that means is there hasn't been a, a point in time where it is possible for us to have a, a, the, the main estimates written to exactly the most up-to-date uh, expenditure position by the executive because when we finalised these estimates uh, two or three weeks ago to be able to be printed and, and to have the bill finalised and so on, in the interim time then the executive uh, carried out that exercise. Oh. The last one, and where can I where can I get this information out from the three hundred million, which I think or I don't know is accounted for or isn't accounted for? I mean, where can I actually go to find this information here for myself? Or can you at least help me figure that out on the twentieth of May when the minister comes to the house for that statement that set out the additional three hundred million? Where does that come from? You said there was one hundred and five and one hundred and fourteen. Can you, I'm trying to find out where that extra money, where did it really come from? You've already said it didn't come from surrenders. Right. It may be better if we come back in writing and give you a breakdown of, of the figures. Yeah. That, that right. may be um, right. simpler, but the, the funding didn't come for surrenders. It was additional money. Um, at the time we concluded the budget, there was funding that was being held for allocation early in the new year. Um, that was the 81 million and the 103.9 million I referred to. Between the budget announcement on the 1st of April and this May round, Treasury then um, had their own main estimates process, and we received an additional 114 million of Barnet through that process. So that, that is where the additional money has come in, but we, we can set that out in writing. It would probably be easier to see it all set out in a table. All right, that, that's great. I have other questions, but it would be unfair with other members here, especially when they're victims bench. Okay. I think there's them better equipped than me to ask them. Jim? I don't know whether the officials had the benefit of sitting in and listening to the presentation by Ray's, uh, where I, I raised the possible windfall that we could be about to experience. Um, I'm right in thinking, as you confirmed, John, the last time, that the bonnet consequences for coronavirus it's entirely up to us how we spend that. Isn't that right? We're not bound to... to that, just... that is correct. Okay. Yes. Um, and... Sorry, I didn't hear the previous presentation, but yes, no. If we get something through the Barnett formula, it is usually for the executive to decide how they spend that funding. Does that also... The 300-odd million that's in the estimates, which is, ringed, which is specifically uh, allocated to coronavirus, if we don't need to spend all of that, are we free to divert that elsewhere within the budget or elsewhere within health? Yes, we're for that. Um, if the money can't be spent for the purpose for which it's been given to the departments, it will come back to the executive to determine uh, where to allocate that. But yes, we are free to spend it on other things. But there's no, no possibility of any of that going back to the Treasury? 
unless it is something the Treasury has specifically ring-fenced, then no, that, that will not go back to the Treasury. Obviously, then we are within, we need to spend within the financial year in which we have got the money, because other than that, the, the limits on carry forward would apply. I wouldn't have thought you'd have any problem at this stage if it becomes available in spending it, particularly uh, you're aware of the Royal College of Surgeons' recent report saying we need £200 million a year and extra just to tackle winning list issues. Nothing else, just winning list. So uh, my understanding is that the, uh, the projections for the coronavirus are not going to be as bad as we had feared, and that because of our amazing vaccination programme, um, I only think the only extra expense, expense will be honours for those who have rolled it out, because they, they certainly deserve it. That being the case, are you having, keeping an eye on that to see if that's going to free up maybe 100, 200 million pounds, which could be used to tackle other pressures? Yeah, we will keep um, close contact with departments as, as we move through the year, and indeed the monitoring rounds are the, the formal process for doing that. Um, I just would caution that the, some of the COVID money has not went to the sort of immediate response and support that is going towards recovery. And obviously, um, the vaccination programme being a, a huge success will help that recovery, but there still is expenditure plans to, to aid the, the economic recovery and, and our, help our businesses through that. So it may be that there's some money that comes free, but it may not be all of it. Um, and I'm just I'm asking you how carefully you're monitoring the recovery, because as I said, the committee has met some uh, people in the quarry industry yesterday, and they're absolutely booming. They cannot cope at all with the demand. Now, why that is significant is that's the very base of the economy, and if it's beginning to move, then what you see is a rapid expansion in other aspects of the economy because the raw materials are needed. And they're, they're telling me there's waiting lists for concrete. Um, they, they can't cope with the number of orders they're having at the moment, and that indicates that things may not be as bad as we had feared. Also, the 11% in rise in house prices, and the recent report that showed that uh, expend, expendable income in family homes in Northern Ireland has never been as high because people haven't been able to spend money. So is there, are you ready to act if things turn out to be less uh, doleful as we had expected? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're always ready to react. I would say we keep in, in close contact with, with departments on that. Now, obviously, some industries may be, be benefiting from this. There are others which are suffering, such as the hospitality, yes. tourism and the aviation industry. So there's a balance to be found, but we, we do keep in, in close contact with departments on that. And the funding we've given is, uh, in terms of the coronavirus funding is for specific purposes with departments. So if it's not spent for that purposes, it must be returned to the executive for the executive to take decisions on where that should be reallocated. But so if health the department can decide not to spend it on coronavirus and put it into other things. But if health doesn't spend all of its 300 million, sorry, so let's look at the budget allocation of 300 million, surely they must have the, Robin must have the power to move that into, say, cancer care or willingness. He doesn't have to put it back into the central pot for, for a haggling match. Is that true? Or does he have to do that? If, if it's been given specifically for, for specific purposes, then it should come back to the executive. Now, I don't think anybody would um, be arguing with uh, Minister Swan over the need of the, the health service for that. So it, it's something that we, we'll keep in close contact with Department of Health colleagues on. Hmm. Thank you very much. Okay, just, just, just before I bring Matthew in, just a quick one. Uh, Joanne, a lot of the sort of funding that comes across as Barnet Consequentials has been on the basis of increased expenditure in NHS spending in England. And the Chancellor has made it clear that he expects these funds to be ring-fenced. 
But obviously when they come to Northern Ireland, they're automatically unhypothecated and go into the pot. Has there been any pushback from Treasury or Treasury have been sort of coming back and saying, has this money gone to health or has this money gone specifically to uh, COVID-related health issues or have, have they let us get on with it? No, there has been no pushback from Treasury. There can't be any pushback from Treasury. And the statement of funding policy is quite clear that foreign consequences are unhypothecated and the executive decides. Um, what I would say is that any of the bids that the Department of Health has submitted for COVID um, have been met in full. So, you know, we're not we're not siphoning money off the Department of Health for other purposes. We are meeting the um, Department of Health's assessment of the funding they need for, for the COVID-19 response. Okay, thanks very much today. Sir Matthew? Thank you, Chair. Um, thanks all. Um, just to go back to what Jim Wells was just asking about on health. Um, so, is it remind me again what the what the um, as it were non outstanding non core health funding is for twenty one twenty two, um, or is that a a correct way of describing? As in money that might be sure eradicated if, if, the if there's less usage. I mean, health on the budget settlement, um, I don't actually have the figure in front of me, but six four four six point four four billion. That's the whole budget? Is that yes. the non-core yeah. No, I think that is core. It is core, but I'm, I'm asking about the non... Jim Wells was just asking about All right. allocations to health that could be redirected towards other the, things. The... the, 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 the uh... The health, the non-ring fenced resource Dell yeah. budget for health in the executive's final budget is six point four five one billion. Okay, fine. Oh, that, 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 I, was, I sort of asked something else, but that's fine. But then, um, on business support, you mentioned earlier on a figure of about um. 80-something million on business support as a, and I can't remember where that number came from, and I don't, because there have been so many allocations recently, um, yeah. I thought I was quite good at keeping up to tabs, it turns out I'm not. Um, what is that 80-something million related to? Is that the outstanding amount that is being held centrally for business interventions, or what is it? Uh, sorry, I, I may have confused um, yeah. the issue there. Um, at the time of the budget, we held um, 81 million centrally to be used for those business support schemes in DOF uh, and in Department for Economy. Mm -hmm. When it actually came to allocating the funding as part of the May exercise, it was actually 96.1 million was allocated. Right. So that may be the figure that you recognise. Okay, so it's already 96 million and it's been allocated via. Yes. That for the for the, for for 21, 22, it has already been allocated. It has, yes. yes. And, and that includes the High Street Voucher Scheme? Uh, the High Street Voucher Scheme isn't within that 96 million, but the High Street Voucher Scheme has been allocated to DFE as part of those confirmed in-year allocations in the budget. Uh, and how much has been allocated for the High Street Voucher Scheme, if you could remind me? It's about 90 million, isn't it? Or is that? That's 'cause that the exact metrics less important to the, the, the yeah. what I'm interested in it, is um it it, 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 it was certainly it was included in the, the statement, the, the minister's written ministerial statement yeah. on the first mm -hmm. of April. Uh, so also if you if you give me a moment to can I can come back just to confirm that for you.
um, it was 145 million for the high street voucher scheme. There was 275.8 million for the DFE's economic recovery package, and that included 145 million for the high street voucher scheme. Right. Okay. Um, is it known yet when? Um, have you just sort of that's just allocated for this year at some stage? Is it known yet when that will be dispersed? I know there's been a ministerial direction for it. At a, um, I'm just wondering if you know. Have any sense of when it's being would it be um, uh, actually dispersed and I suppose then for the scheme launch? I'm afraid that would be a matter for the Department for Economy, so I, I don't have the plans. I think they were talking about autumn, but I would I wouldn't be 100 percent sure on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, just just a quick one, just for um, piece of my own information, Matthew. Why would there be a ministerial direction if therefore it's uh, it's already allocated within the budget? Why would there have to be a ministerial direction on it? Would be a ministerial direction for the how they spend the money. They, they can be allocated, but then there still would need to be a ministerial direction if the accounting officer doesn't think there's a. That's, uh, so why wouldn't they, if it's it's in the budget allocation? Why would there be a problem with the accounting officer? Because it's about how they spend the money rather than that they spend the money. It's about the, the a letter of direction is about proof. I know what a letter of direction money. is. It just it just seems surprising that if it's in a budget, if it's already been allocated. The Department of Finance don't. They don't uh, Sorry, Joanne, can I answer yeah. that now? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, budget allocations are often made before business cases have been signed off um, uh, and obviously any expenditure is sub subject to that expenditure approval. If a department feels or an accounting officer feels that um, certain expenditure can't demonstrate value for money, he can seek a direct. He can say that to his minister and seek a direction. Um, in, in relation to the and Barry may want to jump in. Um, being one of the people who looks at these things, but in relation to the COVID spend, quite often it has been the speed at which the money has had to be spent has meant that there hasn't been time to demonstrate that value for money. Yeah, I, I would make the distinction there between uh, the allocation of funds to spend on something and the approval of the decision to actually carry out the expenditure uh, it may one may one will always come before the other uh, it may be that a business case is completed and a, a department has, has got approval for a, to spend money on a particular project and then goes to the executive to to ask the funding for it or it could be that uh, a minister brings a, a bid to the executive to ask for funding for a particular scheme and that allocation may be given, but that still requires the uh, approval of the expenditure decision. And if that decision uh, is something that would be above the department's delegated limit, then that uh, the approval of that may then uh, need to come to the Department of Finance uh, to be approved. And as Joanne explained, if, if there's a situation where an accounting officer uh, can, it cannot be content that the that expenditure decision represents value for money, then they may uh, seek a ministerial direction if, if from their own minister or uh, uh, from the executive as a, as a whole. Okay. No, it just seems just seems strange because I mean we've been reporting the high street voucher scheme now for the best part of a, a year or longer that it was going to come in, and it just seems a bit surprising that we're coming to this stage now. We still haven't had it delivered, and yet. There is a uh, di ministerial direction is required. Just seems. Mm. Um, can, can I just ask, Sorry, Matthew. That's okay, thank you, Chair. So just on, to go, we had our previous briefing. We we, we went um, with Maria as we were talking about the the question of the of this of the twenty one twenty two budget being as it were flat cash or roughly flat cash. Is the position so that Ardell allocations are four point one percent up? Is it the position of the department 
that it is flat cash because that uh, my understanding is that 4.1% increase well, in the last financial year does not include COVID monies. So how can we plan? Is that right? Um, th there are some COVID monies included in that in in the budget I come for department, so there are some COVID monies, but not all. Um, uh, in terms of flat cash, the settlement we got for Treasury for the non-COVID was essentially flat cash, not because of the overall allocation, but because in the previous year we had been um, given an additional $350 million through the New Decade New Approach yeah. agreement for budget pressures. That was for one year only. Yeah. We had allocated that out to departments. Departments were spending that funding on recurrent issues. So when that was stripped out of our baseline, that gave us an immediate pressure of $350 million. When you take that into account, the, the resource budget settlement was effectively flat cash. There was a little bit of money to allocate um, on non-COVID money, but very little. Right, okay. So, the, so it's about the NDNA allocation. So the, um, uh, okay, um, I know we talked about that before, but I just want to, um, because we, we have so many moments, fiscal moments. Um, and then my final uh, question is on EU funding uh, and uh, lost EU funding. Does the department produce something? I asked the finance minister this year, does the department produce a single kind of global number for uh, lost EU funding across... Um, uh, from farm payments because there is a little bit I know that is covered by DEFRA but it's not all completely covered by DEFRA um, doesn't completely replace cap funding um, you know um, structural funds peace is continuing but is there is there a global number for lost EU funding it's um, not strictly my area but there it's very difficult to put a global money uh, figure on lost EU funding because of the nature of EU funding itself and the way it's it's, it's drawn mm. down an annual basis and, and, and spread over the, 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 the MMF. So it's hard to put a, a distinct figure on it. Um, certainly for the um, the farm funding, we have a figure because it's not so much about them not replacing the farm funding, but in the way they're treating some of those replacements and how they're treating uh, you know, receipts carried forward. So we have a, I don't think we've actually put a definitive number on all of the EU funding that has been lost, okay. but we certainly have, have some of the numbers and individual departments will, will will explain the impact that it's having on, on them as well. I suppose the, the other thing is in the replacement funding when it comes to the um, levelling up fund, etc. It's yeah. very hard to, at this stage, say what that's going to mean because for us. Order, is it? Okay, and then my final, final question is just on the, to go back to the... I have it in a separate table. The, if, it's a, if it's about half a billion of COVID funding for... Um, 21-22, which is what Jim Wells was asking about, um, and the idea that if you have basically um, better than expected economic recovery this year, um, that you might not need all of that. Uh, is that a? Are you coming to that view yet? As June monitoring around, you're you're not you're not in a position basically to make that judgment yet. No. no way. It's early days to make that, that, that uh, decision on how the economy is going. So no, I, I don't see that being part of the, of the June monitoring round, possibly later in the year. Okay. But that, five, that 500 million is not in uh, 500, just under 540 resource Dell and before in capital Dell of COVID-19 funding. That's not included in your, the, the, the flat cash number. 
there's actually, and I don't have the number, I was trying to frantically add up, there's actually more than that, that, that 500 million, um, that there are, so, it's not included in the flat cash, the flat cash um, is based simply on the core L funding, if you added the COVID funding in, that's on top of that. Um, in the budget outcome that's published for each department, there, there, is, a small, there is some COVID funding, primarily mm. in the department for health, and then there's other COVID funding which has been confirmed in year. Is just with the final, final question, I promise. Is the High Street Voucher Scheme included in that 538 COVID funding for 2021-22? I would need, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to be honest, I need to look at where that 538 figure is coming from. Oh, I am reading from it. The High Street Voucher Scheme is a confirmed in-year okay. allocation, so I don't think it is, but I would need to just go for the figures to make sure rather than give you the wrong advice, that's something we can, we can do. Okay, okay, thanks. Okay, thanks very much, sorry. Jim? Yeah, thank you. Um, politically, we're back to the circus talking about um, provision for Irish language. Is there anything in this budget that makes such provision? I'm going to I'll say I'm not aware of it, um, but I couldn't answer that definitively. I'm not over the, the details, so we'd need to check that and come back on this. Barry or Rushing are aware of that. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, there's certainly there is funding, for example, for the language body. In the, in the budget and there will be other f monies that are sitting in the department's budget so again we, we wouldn't have exact figures for exact amounts within uh, any of the, the other department's uh, budgets that are specifically uh, set aside for that. Uh, has Irish language provision ever been costed? Has there ever been a business case? No. Sorry. There would need to be business case before any expenditure is incurred. Yeah. I'm not sure whether it's been costed in its totality or not. Well, have you seen any costings? At this point, I'm, I'm not aware. I was just say I, I wouldn't be over that's not something I've looked at um, any time recently, so I would need to, to check what has been done on that. Well, maybe you could tell us, come back to us. If but, yeah. yeah. It would also be for individuals, as Barry says, there may yeah. be. Um, Expenditure in individual departments' budgets, which we yeah. would not have sight of, especially if it's below the I, 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 I was just—I was just about to say, Joanne, a, a business case would be presented to the Department of Finance if there's an individual project or scheme or program which is going to exceed the department's delegated limit, uh, and we would have sight of those. If, however, there's expenditure which is being carried out within the department's delegated limit, then we would not automatically have sight of those. Would it not be normal practice? when the executive is bringing legislation to have costed the impact of that legislation. Uh, again, that, that is something it may depend on, on how the, the intention is to, to fund the, the impact of that legislation. But I'm, I'm not aware at the minute. That's not to say it hasn't been done, just that we're not aware of it at the moment. Yeah. If, if, uh, if an explanatory and financial memorandum, which accompanies a bill to spell out what work has been done in respect of costing the propositions within the bill? Isn't that how legislation, the legislative process works? Uh, yeah, and, 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 it would, and it would indeed, if, if, if there is any additional financial uh, implications of a bill that would be included in, ex, in, in the EFAM uh, for that bill, I, 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 I don't have that to hand. The to, to expect, finance don't expect to know that. Again, if, if there are, but given that we're here to talk about the main estimates and we're not aware of any provision in the main estimates that has, has came to us for that. So 
you would expect, as Barry says, and as you have said, yes, the financial implications of a bill should be costed. If that bill uh, comes to us, then we would look at those financial implications. But at, at this point, we we are not aware of that. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much indeed. Okay, Joanne, Barry, Rushing, thank you very much indeed. Uh, no doubt we'll be talking again fairly soon. <laughs> and. Um, uh, thank you, and if we can take uh, Joanne, Barry and Rushing off uh, Starling, and if we go into closed session. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber programme signed.
This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber Programme Sound. Back in public session. I don't think we have um, um, uh, Stuart or Janice. Yeah, if we. Uh, if I, let's move on to uh, do this. Move on to subordinate legislation, then I'll come back. If we move on to item number ten of the agenda, subordinate legislation, statute rule twenty one or twenty twenty one one three four. The department has made a statutory rule under powers conferred by Article twenty three alpha of the Rates Northern Ireland Order nineteen seventy seven. Relevant papers are at pages five five six to five six one. The Rates Social Sector Value Amendment Regulations Northern Ireland 2007 allows the Department of Discretion to allow properties owned by the Northern Ireland Housing Executive or Housing Association to be charged rates on the basis of a social sector value relating to the rent payable rather on the basis of the property's actual rateable capital value. This permits, this permits the Department to ensure that similar properties in the social housing sector have the same rates liability regardless of their location and is consistent with the way in which rent is already calculated in this sector. The Department indicates that the amount of money collected is the same as it would have been if the rates had been charged on the basis of the assessed individual capital values in the valuation list. A revision has been made to schedule <coughs> to schedule say that again. A revision has been made to schedule of the SR to reflect amalgamations and name changes, etc. among the housing associations. These changes have been devised following consultation with the housing associations. The committee agreed that it was content with the related uh, SL1 on the 19th of May 2021. The department advises that the statutory rule does not deviate from the original SL1. The rule is subject to negative resolution assembly procedure and is expected to come into operation on the 30th June 2021. Are we content? Therefore, that the Committee for Finance has considered the proposed statutory rule, statutory rule 2021-134, the Rates Social Sector Value Amendment Regulations Northern Ireland 2021, and subject to the report of the examiner of statutory rules, have no objection to this rule. Are we agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Still, still nothing. So. Okay, we'll move on to correspondence. Moving on to item 11 on the agenda, the correspondence, uh, starting with the correspondence index. Members asked to note the index of the nine received items of correspondence at page 563 and two <coughs> tabled items. Uh, 11.2 LCM Public Sector Pensions. Members asked to note at page 566 correspondence from the Department on the forthcoming Legislative Consent Memorandum, which will give effect to changes on the public sector pensions in line with the McLeod judgment. The Committee was briefed on this on April 2021. Changes to judicial pensions and local government pensions are now to be included. I think that's an issue that you raised, Jim. Jim Allister. I, I raised it as well. Um, the Westminster Bill may be introduced before the summer recess. 
And I think there are indications that it is to be raised before. I've seen other correspondence that is to <coughs> fairly soon. Okay. And separately on that issue. This probably means that the committee will have 15 working days to consider and report on the matter in September. Are members content to arrange evidence sessions with RAISE, the Department and the Unions with a view to reporting around the 22nd of September? Is this agreed? Yes, Mr Chairman. Just, there's just one outstanding issue. Uh, the police situation. Um, uh, I haven't heard anything from the police officers who contacted me earlier about this, but it may be worth just giving them an opportunity to have an input at that stage. So, as, as you say, we've accepted the principle, we've accepted the legislative consent motion route. Um, and apart from the police and the cross-border bodies, I haven't heard much in the way of concern raised about this. But just um, at the time when the police officers wrote to me, there's qu quite a few of them, maybe eight or nine, and they were very vociferous. Uh, and I'd just like them to be given an opportunity, if they wish to at this stage, just to have an input. Um, the funny thing is, the police federation doesn't seem to be on board. Um, this, this is the unusual situation that these officers are ex-officers, as most of them are, and con contacted me separately. And then we checked with the police federation; they didn't seem to be worried about it at all. Jim, do you want to contact those police officers and ask them to um, get in contact with us, and then we'll Clark, yeah. yeah through the clerk, and we'll be cognizant of that. And it might not be worth info infoing the police federation as well, just yes. so that they might. I've now realised that there's something they should be taking cognizance of. Okay. Okay. Are you content with that? Yes, happy enough. Okay. Chair, is the committee also content just to share the information with the Committee for Justice and the Committee for Communities? I'm not sure they're aware of them. Yeah, yes, it's I think. Agreed. Happy to share the information. Agreed. Uh, next item on the agenda is public sector pensions payment issues. Members are asked to consider departmental correspondence at page 39 of tabled items which refers to a failure leading to delayed pension payments. Uh, I note there's something you just circulated something to members in email about there's something like a thousand calls which have been dealt with. So I understand the payments have now been made, were made on Tuesday, and there was a, an IT error to the department just written about that, which I've shared. And when, when were those payments? Tuesday? <coughs> well, in the account on Tuesday or sent out? My understanding is they were paid on Tuesday. And they should be in the accounts now? Then? Yeah, so they should be. Okay. That Thank is you. my understanding, yes. Okay. Um, do we, I think. That, I think that note that came from the department today covers the item of being updated. I think I would be content with that. But obviously, if it happens again, and it's been um, the, the note from the department this afternoon talks about capita and the issues with capita, it just seems strange that you would have a, a payroll run issue in uh, not when you're at the end of the financial year, but sort of year two or a month two. It just seems a bit odd. Uh, let's just keep an eye on it if, it if it occurs again to be able to do that. Okay, thank you. Uh, item four: rates, bills, and error. Members are asked to note departmental correspondence on page forty-one of tabled items, which refers to business rates bills issued to businesses which were in fact eligible for the business rates holiday. Uh, are we content to note the correspondence? Great. Uh, from the Oroctus, uh, uh, members are asked to note page five seven six correspondence from Anne Connolly, director of the Oroctus. Parliamentary Budget Office offering future assistance to the Committee in respect to the Dillon Fiscal Council for Northern Ireland. Are we content to note? Agreed. Uh, restricted correspondence. Members are asked to note page 577 restricted correspondence from a member of the public detailing the left of grievances in respect of injuries obtained. Uh, members, are we content that the clerk respond to the individual advising that the concerns are outside the remit of this committee? 
suggest that the individual reports concerns to the PSNI. I think that would be quite clear. Are we agreed? Agreed. Uh, next item, tariff and movements of goods, GBNI. Members are asked to note at page 578 press clippings in regard to tariffs and movements of goods between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Jim, do you want to come in there? Just thought it was relevant to the protocol hearings we're going to have. Okay. And are we content to note ahead of the briefings on the protocol? Great. Uh, next item, uh, House of Lords European Affairs Subcommittee Northern Ireland Protocol. Members are asked to note at page 579 copies of letters have forwarded to the Committee from the House of Lords European Affairs Subcommittee in the Northern Ireland Protocol. First letter is to the Department for International Trade seeking an update on tariff rate quotas including the import of steel to Northern Ireland, which is now being discussed by the Northern Ireland Protocol Joint Committee and Specialist Committee. The second letter to HM Treasury seeking an update on discussions with the EU Commission on a specific VAT identifier for Northern Ireland and on sharing of da- data via the EU VAT IT system and the practical operation of Article 8 of the Protocol on VAT and Excise. Uh, just uh, for indication, you'll be aware today that um, there's been notes in the media about <coughs> Lord Frost uh, stated that of the 30 areas that they were looking for clarification uh, with the EU at the moment, they'd only managed to uh, discuss two of those particular areas. So obviously there's a considerable area of concern for things to be looked at as well. Members, are we content to note this ahead of the briefings on the Protocol? Uh, Committee for Infrastructure on on a Fiscal Council for Northern Ireland. Members are asked to consider at page 581 a query from the Committee for Infrastructure following a CBI briefing and asking for the timescale for the establishment of the Fiscal Council and whether it have powers to investigate or resolve planning issues. Um, I don't don't think that the Fiscal Council's remit stretches to planning. However, if we're content uh, to write to the Committee for Infrastructure informing it that, it that an interim fiscal council has been established, but it's unlikely that the fiscal council will be addressing planning issues in any regard, are we content with this? Yeah, well, that was no, a truly bizarre query to get from an assembly committee. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm surprised from a CBI briefing of all places. Well, I, I mean, if I was speculating, I would say that someone in the CBI giving evidence may have said that there is a fiscal council being, there are planning issues in Northern Ireland and there is a fiscal council being created and one of the things they may look at in terms of our overall economic performance is the planning process. If I was speculating, I think that, and then a, not to, perhaps an over-eager clerk decided that was, the actually added two and two together and got about 312. Bizarre. <laughs> we give them the rest of the heart failure when it comes in front of us and says, right, let's talk about planning now. Right, move on to the next item of the agenda, uh, business COVID support. Uh, members are asked to note at page 582 further correspondence from a business owner regarding financial support for businesses due to the COVID situation. Are members content to note? Agreed. Right, red diesel for pleasure craft. Members are asked to consider at page 583 further correspondence from the department on the use of red diesel in pleasure craft. HM Treasury now advises that the prohibit prohibition of red diesel for propulsion use is now delayed to the 1st of October 2021. The department has suggested that 40% of red diesel used on pleasure craft is for non-propulsion. Members content to write to the department asking whether the delay was agreed by the Commission and perhaps disputing the assertion that 40% of red diesel used on pleasure craft is for non-propulsion, bearing in mind that any pleasure craft that's tied up in marina needs to be connected to the shoreside mains and they're specifically prevented from running their diesels alongside for uh, source for uh, 
non-propulsion purposes. Are we content to write to the department again? Yes. I don't care whether the Commission approved it or not. I just welcome the fact that there's another few months of grace. Well, if they can give us a few months of grace until the 1st of October, they can add it significantly to that as well. Well, could you tell me what the other 60% goes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and all I would say is, Chair, not that I want to... We are in a private session, but I'm slightly perturbed by the use of the phrase propulsion for private pleasure. May I make a suggestion that if, when COVID relaxations come and we decide to take the committee to other parts of Northern Ireland and we go down to Gemma's fine constituency, maybe we take the opportunity to go to one of the marinas and actually discuss. And with her. Her. <laughs> I'm sure she's bound to have a private cruiser, so she lives in the lake, so we can use it. So we get a bit more detail on that. Okay, thank you very much, Dave. Let's move on. Uh, Assembly clerking and members to support office on social media training. Members are asked to note on page 592 correspondence from the clerking and member support office on social media training for members and their staff. Are we content to note? Agreed. Composite request is page 595. Members content the composite request is an accurate and complete record of the committee's information request. Is this agreed? Agreed. If we go back, if we got, I'm going to go on to the forward work programme because we cannot raise them. Okay. Uh, can we move on to item number 12 on the agenda, the forward work programme? Draft forward work programme is page 614. Members are asked to note that some of the Northern Ireland Protocol expert briefings have now been provisionally arranged for June. The experts have, been, have agreed to share briefings. They will be allocated about 10 minutes each, followed by questions from members. Members are asked to note the summer recess is to end on the 5th of September. 2021 was proposed that the committee returns early on the 1st of September to deal with correspondence and have a short planning session to mat up the remainder of the mandate. The rest of September is taken up with the LCM and can study committee stage the financial reporting bill and hopefully I want to see the legislative framework for the Independent Fiscal Council. Uh, are we content with forward work programme as amended? Agreed. Agreed. Just as we have time, um, uh, just in terms of the financial reporting bill, um, the committee stage uh, were allowed 30 working days. I calculate that as uh, taking us to sometime in September. It's not a great, not a great timing. So, the committee will probably want to seek an extension, even though it's only a technical bill. I'm chatting to my colleagues, what they've all been doing is seeking really big extensions out to about like January. And not that we would actually take all that time, but just so that we could, in case there's any issues um, and we have difficulties getting additional meetings, we ask for a January extension. And then if we report early, we report early. Is this on the financial reporting? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Is this what we're doing now as a version of what the finance department likes to do? We're building an extra headroom that we may or may not. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the way ahead. Seems to be the way ahead. So we'll discuss that again, but yeah. just just to give members that heads up. Okay. Any sign of Stuart and Janice? Yes, yeah, we have. Uh, if we can bring on sorry, Stuart and Janice, please. Uh, we're going back team to uh, item number eight, uh, nine on the agenda: oral evidence, Department of Finance student monitoring round submission. And can I say hi to Stuart and Janice? Hello. Can you hear us? Okay? okay. Good to see you again, Janice. Good to see you, Stuart. Yep. Uh, the session has been recorded by Hansard. The clerk's briefing notice is page 537. A paper from the department is page 35 of tabled items. And the previous departmental papers are at page 541 and page 52 and page 545. Stuart, are you speaking to this one? 
Yes, I am. Can you hear okay? I can indeed. Can you hear me? Yeah, good. Okay, do you want me to go Yes, ahead? please. Okay. Um, so, uh, we, we provide you with a paper there, and apologies for the lateness of the paper, which is just getting the process and getting it cleared. So, um, sorry, I'm sorry you only got that yesterday. But go, going through it uh, quickly here, there's not an awful lot of bids that we have on it. But um, as you know from our previous um, presentation, we, start, we started off really with 172 million, and that left us with uh, an overcommitment in the region of around 4 million for the department that we had to find. Um, since that time, we, we'd been um, successful um, in getting um, some COVID bids met. Um, that's 1.1 million for uh, land registry costs and half a million for GRO and 1.1 for some next HR recruitment costs. Uh, that next HR is a new pressure that came on. Now, we're still hopeful that we will get the other half. So, in other words, we got 1.6 of the income pressures met, but we're hoping we will get the other 1.6 later in the year. But the centre didn't want to um, give it all out at the moment and to see how those income um, targets actually featured going forward, because they may reduce down or, or indeed go up. Um, so there is another potential to get one, another 1.6 through that. Um, so uh, after reviewing our own business areas, then we they uh, established a, a further uh, pressures across the department, and that's a two million associated with the central government transformation, and one and a half million associated with um, the IT systems. Um, just going through that, the central government transformation system is really in and around the um, replacement for account NI and HR Connect, which is the NICS um, finance systems and HR systems, um, and they actually go wider than the civil service itself. Civil service departments, they, all, they also cover a number of um, public sector areas as well. So very important systems, but they've been around for uh, tens of years, and uh, you know it's, they, they are starting to creak, and we need to replace them. So it's an important project to get kicked off on that. We've had to extend the contracts on the other two to get that done. So, uh, and the other bid is for the IT systems, part of which is the records management system, which we have at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, again, another very important piece of equipment for the, um, the NICS. So it stores all our documents. Um, and we, um, it, at the moment, it's quite a, an old system as well. So there's a project up and going to look across all departments to see what's the best way of replacing that um, and assessing the fitness for purpose of that. On top of that, there's a, a couple of other smaller IT systems which are, are brought in into that as well. So um, looking at, at the table there, that sort of provides you with a, a sort of summary, summary of where we were. Um, we, we've got the first two bids up, there, up the top there, which sort of add up to around the four million over commitment on the first four. Then we had a further pressure coming in from um, Nixie HR. Um, and then we got some money, uh, COVID 2.7 met. But then we've got the, the two new pressures coming in. So we're sitting at about 5.8. Um, pressure at the moment, of which if we were to get these bids, that would reduce it down to about two and a half. Uh, and we think if we if we were to get our additional um, income met, then that would bring it down to probably less than a million pounds. That would we we would have as a pressure, and we think we should be able to cover that uh, in year. But we'll we'll keep it under under tabs and reassess where it is. 
Um, in capital, I think we've assessed our capital position, and I think at the moment in capital um, that we we have 45 million, and we, we that is sufficient to meet our capital program. And there is no having assessed all the pluses and minuses. We don't think we can give anything up, or we don't need to bid for capital at the moment. So that 45 million would suffice. So that's really a summary of where we are at the moment. I think in the summary we would be wanting to bid for two million for cap uh, for CGTP and one and a half million for EDRMS and IT systems. Stuart, it's interesting you use the word risk and increasing risk mm -hmm. the sustainability of the current systems given the age of technology yeah. which you've written in there. Um, mm -hmm. Is this on the departmental risk register? It is indeed. Yes. Yeah. And what colour is it at the moment? Um, well, we have extended the two the, the, the two projects, so I think it's amber at the moment off the top of my head. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it is around amber because, you know, they, they are supported at the moment, but it, there is the problem going forward. They will no longer be supported, and that's the problem. Once it, you get into an un, unsupported system, it would certainly be red. Okay. Yep. Okay. No, no, Jim's. Alicia, Philip. Sure, Janice. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> you've been let off. You've been let off. You've been let off lightly today, but thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's okay. been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank very you. Much. Cheers, everybody. Thank you. Oh, uh, any other business? Uh, date and time of the next meeting, uh, 9th of January at uh, 2 o'clock here, in, or 1400 here in the Senate Chamber. 9th of January. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, sorry, did I say? <laughs> <Ninth> of, <laughs> thank you for January. the break. 9th of June. That's what I meant to say. Couldn't believe it. We're over. We're finished before half past five. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Keep safe. Go and enjoy the sun before the thunderstorms come as well. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome. Thanks, Mary. Senate Chamber programme signed. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Senate Chamber program signed.